Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 39, I think. Sorry it's been so long since uh, I recorded one of these. That's okay. I wasn't apologizing oh, I, oh, I to thought you. that was for you. Uh, well, no, it's... Okay. You didn't, you didn't even listen to the last one. That's true. But I'm going to. That's the same. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> So as you can uh, as you can hear, I have one of my friends on. Although I don't know if that's going to be the case yeah. after this episode. Yeah. Well. So uh, uh, he's back. He was uh, f- here for episode, I think seventeen. I don't I don't remember what episode is yours, but uh, I don't either. Uh, Josh Long, actor, writer, director, extraordinaire, all around human. Okay. That's, I mean, in most, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Occasional blogger. Occasional. Yeah. I got I got a lot of blogs on there. Yeah. That's, that's a good No, there's a lot on there. They're just occasional. Yeah. Yeah. So, and because nobody else writes for the site including me, it just looks like you write a lot. It's just me. I am the 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 blog behind more than one less. I'm not really. You've written more than I have, haven't you? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I just write those Oscar ones. There's a bunch of those. That's true. Okay, so um, before we get into uh, the episode, there was something I wanted to address. Uh, I don't, or... <laughs> okay, if you listen to Battleship Pretension, you know that I am prone to listening, or to reading, like, iTunes comments and stuff like that. I'm trying to stop because uh, negative comments really, uh, really get to me, and uh, they shouldn't, really, so uh, I need to get over that, but... There was a negative comment for uh, more than one lesson, and I don't want to address it directly, but it brings up something that I think is important to uh, to talk about, and so I want to talk about it very briefly before we get into the episode. Josh, you're more than welcome to weigh in if you like. I'll do that. Okay. Um, so somebody uh, put out the idea that um, that I am like pro violence, or you know that I like all this like salacious sex and drug use and all this kind of thing um, because I like and endorse movies that feature those things. And uh, without getting too... uh, I don't want to get too personal and be like, ah, I am not in favor of drug use because look at this. You know, I'm not a politician who has to go back and say, look at the record. Um, But what I will say is, uh, yeah, I'm not pro-violence or pro-drug use or pro-crazy, you know, sex and all that sort of thing. Um, There are movies that I really love that have all of those in it, uh, and it actually, in spite of what some people may think, often people in the Christian community, I would say, um, it is possible to appreciate a movie and not actually condone everything that's in it, just as as it is possible to make a movie and not condone everything in the movie you're making. Uh, some people might say, like, well, if you don't condone it, why are you incorporating it? Uh, and it might be that, you know, the filmmaker respects the story that he is telling too much to soft-pedal it. You know, if you're making a story, if you're making a film about, you know, a drug addict or something like that, um, and then you didn't feature any of the drug use, I hate to say it, but you're really, you're not doing justice to the uh, to the. To the film and to the story, yeah. Depending on the depending on the story, that some of these things are so intrinsically tied to whatever the topic is that it would make sense not to have uh, violence or drug use or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so you're actually being uh, disingenuous to the story if you were to leave out some things, right? 
and uh, and so I wanted to to point that out that it, there is it is in some circles um, it is very black and white. It's like well this movie has this stuff in it, so it must endorse it. It must condone it, and that's not at all the truth. Um, it's just that as artists, they're trying to do justice to the story they're telling. And, of course, as somebody who loves movies and somebody who talks about movies, I that is not necessarily a deal-breaker for me if a movie has swearing or drug use or anything like that. I don't necessarily think that certain things should be used flippantly, mm-hmm. you know, but if that's what the story requires, so be it. Yeah, and there's definitely a degree to which that happens in movies sometimes, but oh, yeah. I think... Um, I think that is a fault, and I think oftentimes you on the on the show and other times recognize that as a fault of the film if it's mm-hmm. something that's used flippantly or uh, mm-hmm. just not for a good purpose. Uh, and then I also, uh, in the spirit of that, I also wanted to bring up uh, that you know uh, a lot of people have problems with the Bible and with like the Old Testament. You know, they'll look at uh, you know King David or you know any number of people from the old testament that have done that have done really terrible things and uh and they'll find themselves kind of confused by it. it's like well why is this in the why is this in the bible like is the bible condoning this and the answer is of course no it's the same it's the same answer you know i wrote down uh, inclusion doesn't mean endorsement <laughs> you know uh these are it's it's telling it's wanting to tell the true story and mm-hmm. i know that some people listening to this are gonna be like well it's not true Okay, uh, uh, fair enough. You're welcome to have that opinion. But what I am saying is that if it wanted to soft pedal and make, you know, I used King David as the example. If it wanted to use King David as uh, as its hero, then they would play down all the terrible things that were done mm-hmm. and just make him noble in every way. And it would be not very compelling, not very interesting, and probably not very true. Yeah, and that's a that's a great example of some somewhere where the uh, uh, violence and salacious sex are very important to the story yeah. b- because the because without those you don't understand like the the kind of grace that God's having for David and mm-hmm. the the uh, you you have to see him as a flawed person yeah. in order to fully understand like to fully understand David's story that mm-hmm. those are huge essentials to it it's not we we all remember David and Goliath we all yeah. remember uh, you know these these great things that he did, but without these other huge flaws, it's, um, the story is unimportant. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a nice little, I hate, I hate to put it this way. It's like a nice little fairy tale. You tell your kids, you know, Oh, look at this man, a a man after God's own heart. He killed a giant. He killed all an evil giant. (laughs) He also uh, arranged for the husband of, uh, the woman he was sleeping with to be killed as well. Yeah. Maybe let's not play that one up, you know, but, uh, but no yeah, flannel board for that. one. <laughs> oh, flannel board. That is, uh, not everyone's going to get that reference. Yeah. That's an inside. I, I do. A little inside baseball. Okay. So, uh, so I'd wanted to address that because it is something that, uh, that might come into, uh, the discussion today, uh, and in future episodes, certainly. So something to keep in mind. Okay. So, this episode we are talking about uh, the Martin Scorsese film Shutter Island, and we are also talking about Christopher Nolan's Memento. I'm going to say right now... <laughs> We're going to so call I, this episode Spoiler Episode. Yeah, just Spoilers <laughs> uh, spoilers Incorporated. We're not Incorporated. No, um, was, we're an LLC. Yeah. But, uh, so it's... I, I don't want to 
keep repeating it, although I even might instinctively during the episode. Mm. But if you haven't seen Shutter Island or you haven't seen Memento and you don't, and both movies have a twist mm-hmm. uh, ending, um, if you don't want to see the, uh, don't want that spoiled for you, don't listen to this episode. Hold off. Watch the movies. Come back and listen to us. All right. When you um, say a twist, you mean like like M Night Shyamalan is what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 What? He's, he'll be in the movie, and that'll be the twist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What's he doing there? He's the killer. He, that's right. He's both killers. <laughs> yeah. He just keeps popping up. Uh, it's it's part of the contract he signed with all of Hollywood. <laughs> um, but uh, okay, so uh, Shutter Island. Directed by Martin Scorsese, written by, and I'm probably going to get this name horribly wrong, uh, Leita Calogritis. It's a very, uh, I apologize to... uh, That's spelled. Well, you can look at it right there. Yeah, look at it right there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard one. I I knew the novel name. That's what I was going to say. I was like, how hard is Dennis Lehane to pronounce? (laughs) But Denise Lehane? (laughs) Is that am I getting that right? But yes, it's based on a novel by Dennis Lehane and um uh so yeah, Shutter Island. I uh I saw it back in I believe February of uh 2010 when it came out yes, and did I. I enjoyed it quite a bit almost in spite of myself. Um I because I'm kind of a jerk, it was so praised by people that I naturally go <laughs> in being like I bet it can't be that mm. good because, uh, like I said, I am a jerk. So you, you David Baxed the movie? Oh, good, yes. You know he listens to this, right? <laughs> he knows he does that. Yes, I know. Okay. <laughs> David Bax is the co-host of my other show, Battleship Pretension. <laughs> Available every Monday. Donation drive going on right now. So uh, Get out them wallets. Yeah. Get them out. I don't have a wallet. I know. That's I do, actually. You just, I just have a big in. wad of cash in my pocket at all times. <laughs> and when I, I run out, <laughs> when I run out, it means I'm done for the week. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah, I just, it's it's a terrible instinct to have, um, but I, I did have it. And and so I went and saw, and, and the tone of the film early on is, and, and throughout, is very large and bombastic. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I did not really like it early on because I was just like, oh, man, we're going to get Cape Fear again. <laughs> I am one of the one of the few people that really did not like uh, Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear. I'm a big fan of the original. I've, I've seen the original. I haven't seen the remake. And but it's just everything just takes on such a not even melodramatic. I would venture to say operatic tone hmm. in in that film. And uh, and with the with the huge music uh that is i'd venture to say bernard herman-esque um it sounds as though this that this film is just going to be ridiculous we're talking about shutter island talking about shutter island now i'm sorry um yeah in in cape fear it actually is bernard herman so uh (laughs) but no in shutter island it's just everything about it early on just i was like i am not this is going to be a slog for me i'm not going to enjoy this uh, but after a while, it kind of settled into a nice tone. Uh, it started to reveal character early enough that I, I cared about uh, the main character. Mm-hmm. His name is Teddy Daniels. He's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. I started to care about him early enough. It revealed enough of his backstory that, um, that yeah, I, I was invested. And also, Martin Scorsese, 
I'm I'm actually somewhat late to the Martin Scorsese party. Of course, I watched a lot of his movies uh, throughout, you know, from high school on, and uh, and I always thought he was very good. But people would say he's like, oh, you know, he's our best working, you know, the best living director right now uh, in our country, at least. And I was always just like, well, I mean, his movies are good, but honestly, you know, there there are a lot of movies that he's made that people love that I find it difficult to watch and certainly difficult to enjoy. I am not a huge fan of Goodfellas. I don't own it because I don't think I would watch it. You know, um, you and I and a bunch of friends just rewatched uh, Raging Bull, and I remember first seeing that in high school, and I did not really. Uh, you know, I responded to some of the filmmaking elements of it, but I just didn't really like it. And I didn't really like it this time either because, of course, it's, <laughs> it requires that I spend time with terrible people, and I'm not interested in that. Oh, I love that movie, though. And yeah, it's oh, it's very good. There's no question about it. Yeah. But I don't know if I'll watch it a lot, even <laughs> though I think I do own it. Well, it's uh, I, some of his his films are not the type that are like you watch them over and over again, right. but just, I don't know, there's a... There's a He's one of those directors that knows how to to make something raw, I think, and in a way that is that is moving. Like there's a lot of directors now who it's almost like a hack move. They're like, "Oh, look how raw this movie's going to be." And it'll be really violent or or you know, it'll just uh, bad characters, bad situations, uh, the locations and all these things, but I don't know something about the way that that Scorsese does it. I, maybe it's having kind of lived in some of those worlds mm-hmm. that he really. Um, I don't know. I I really like the way he captures that in spe- specifically in films like Raging Bull and Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much in Goodfellas. Um, the, the thing that, and I I don't think Goodfellas is his, is his greatest film, but I. I do enjoy that one. Ironically, I feel like that is one that I do uh, watch often. But I think that comes from a different side of the talent that he has, which is to take something that's very serious and without going full comedy to kind of couch it in, in kind of a ridiculous humorous light. Yeah. Um, which, There's a lot of that in The Departed as well. There is in The Departed. I, I feel like that's almost not at all in uh, <laughs> in uh, Shutter Island, so right. that's maybe not as pertinent, but I don't know. That's that's just to say that's a thing that I like about him as a director. There's a lot of really funny parts in Goodfellas, considering that it's a relatively depressing mm. and uh, a violent movie. And I think that that type of humor uh, translated into something that Scorsese has nothing to do with, but of course influenced, which was The Sopranos, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in which it's just characters, you know, a lot of his, a lot of the humor of his movies, even in Raging Bull. It comes from the characters. It comes from the characters, yeah. and it comes from characters who are so raw that they have, you know, I don't say everything that comes into my mind, right. yeah. and neither do you. These people, because of the way they were raised or the mm-hmm. lives that they're living, if you're a gangster, you're used to a life of self-centeredness yeah. and just doing literally whatever you want. Yeah, they're these characters that re- honestly have no perspective on themselves. <laughs> That's a good way of phrasing <laughs> it, yes. It's like if, if Maybe perspective on anything, but <laughs> well, certainly least not. of all themselves. Like you can see, if, if Robert De Niro's character, you just imagine like if he were looking at himself in Raging Bull, like if, if that character were looking at himself, he'd probably be like, what's, what's the matter with this guy? What's wrong yeah. with that guy? He'd use a lot more foul language. Oh, unquestionably, yes. But uh, I and I for a moment I was like, "Is Josh going to swear as he speaks for Rob De Niro?" Because you kind of have to if you're voicing that character. Just it's implied. You know, you know what, what we all know. We're going to say we all know. Um, 
but yeah, and so I, I don't mean to make it sound like I'm like I'm bashing Martin Scorsese. Far from it. But like early on, I just had a difficult time accepting him as a great director because I I had a hard time um, divorcing my own emotional reactions to his movies from the skill in which the movies are made. Mm-hmm. And now when I go back and watch, you know, Taxi Driver or Raging Bull, I mean, the skill is so obviously there, and he's just such a kinetic vibrant director um that uh you know i mean he made a movie that at some point i'm going to talk about on this show called uh, the last temptation of christ mm-hmm. and it's just you know it's admittedly there's a lot of controversial elements of the film but really for a good chunk of the movie it's just about jesus walking around yeah. we've seen that a lot in movies in which they felt the need to bring no style to it mm-hmm. but like in his choice of music, his choice of casting, the way he edits, the way he, uh, you know, the way he moves the camera. It's just, it's very alive and it's very, it's intense and it's, this is going to sound strange, it's very current. It's very immediate. There's an immediacy to the way he directs um, so that you, no matter what time period it takes place and no matter what story he's telling, you really feel like it's happening right now and the excitement of that. Yeah, that's good. And so, uh, so Shutter Island, even though it, I went in reluctantly and the first few minutes made me be like, oh, really? Um, you know, he is, he is uh, a, I would venture to say, math, uh, master craftsman, and he really won me over. Uh, and, sh- and certainly Shutter, Shutter Island does have a very big melodramatic tone mm-hmm. but he sort of has fun with it and he does approach it almost from a horror movie standpoint psychological yeah. thriller i guess yeah yeah which is yeah, there's a watching it again when we when we rewatched it I, I forgot how many sort of jump moments there are popcorn on the ceiling moments and mm-hmm. somebody jumps around a corner or uh, comes out of a cell or something like that yeah and and he also incorporates little things some of them obvious some of them not uh, like, you know, somebody, there's a, a scene where a woman is taking a drink of water and it cuts around in such a way that in one moment, th- when she's lifting the glass to her mouth, she, d- the glass is not there, but then she, then it cuts to another shot and she sets it down and the glass is there. And it's, it's little moments that, you, you know. You think like, is that continuity? It's like, mm, I don't think so. Continuity is usually much That's a more pretty, subtle than not having the glass. It's a pretty big mistake. There are people who get fired for that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I think someone, if you if you made that much of a continuity mistake, I think you might actually get <laughs> killed. I think I, they would kill you. I hope they clued the editor in, too. <laughs> She's just sitting there. I, I say she because I'm assuming it's Thelma Shoemaker because she, cause she uh, I edits like all of his movies. But uh, <laughs> this is just... Sitting there and be like, you know, he she had a cup in this in this scene, and now she doesn't in this next shot. Is that a what? What's going on? Just it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't Am worry I about going it. crazy? What? Ah, see, that's and, and that, so well, that is is one ahead. thing that I noticed about it this time that I was I was seeing it for the second time. I was focusing a little bit more on some of the craft of it, and I noticed uh, I don't know how I kind of kind of missed me the first time, but how many elements of the direction are used to to make the audience just feel a little bit unsettled, just a little bit like things aren't exactly the way they're supposed to be. There's shots like that where they'll do uh, strange continuity things, and then there are um, uh, sort of camera movement mm-hmm. is is a little bit like 
I think I mentioned to you, there's a lot of whip pans, yeah, which is a, a, a technique mostly used in comedy, actually. But it it's just for those who don't know what that is, it's just a very quick uh, pan, which is a like look to the to the side, essentially. And uh, it's done so quickly that you can't you get kind of a motion blur going from one side to another side and right. back. And um, it's it's disorienting. And usually it's used in comedy because it's it can be funny to lead into something in a disorienting way. But but in a movie that starts out, especially so bombastically and so kind of serious, it, it throws you for a loop a little bit. Yeah, it's it, the film has a very jittery tone and it occurs mm-hmm. to me we haven't talked about the story at all. And uh, we're going to need to certainly let's do it. Uh, I'm going to. I'm ready. All right, just go. Just let's, leave me. Let's hurry hey, up. Hey, come on, knock it off. It's right. my show. I'm sorry. All right, I'm sorry. Twice nominated for a podcast award. Thank you. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so um, so the story um, DiCaprio plays this character Teddy Daniels, who is a uh, federal marshal, I believe, mm-hmm. and he and his partner, played by Mark Ruffalo, are coming to a a place called Shutter Island that has. A mental institution for the criminally insane. Uh, keep that in mind because it's said a bunch. Um, <laughs> our friend of the show, Jason Egan, does a fun impression of Leonardo DiCaprio saying criminally insane. And it's, uh, oh, delightful. <laughs> and so uh, so uh, a, a patient has gone missing and, they, and nobody knows how she got out. Her name is Rachel Salando. It seems impossible that she could have escaped from her cell. Right. So as they're as they start asking questions to some of the other uh, patients uh, or prisoners um, and some of the staff, it becomes clear like there's some not everyone's talking. Some people, Mm -hmm. uh, the 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 doctor in charge played uh, very, I would venture to say, coyly by uh, that is C.O.Y.L.Y. Not like a slinky, not like a slinky or a a python. Um, (laughs) So uh, he, you know, he gives answers to a point. Played coyly by... Ben Kingsley, I'm so, sorry, yes. Yeah. He gives, an, you know, he's honest up to a point, and then he starts to shrink away a little bit, and you're like, mm-hmm. what is... some? Someone's not saying something. It's obvious that something is going on there that we don't no. know what. And so, uh, and at the same time, we're also getting flashes into DiCaprio's history, and that involves uh, a wife... Uh, played by Michelle Williams, who has died in a house fire. The wife, not Michelle Williams. Oh, my. Has she not? I don't think so. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I've got my facts wrong. Uh, <laughs> yes, the wife uh, has died in a house fire, and uh, and this uh, this also takes place uh, in the 50s, I believe. Yes, I'd say so. And um, DiCaprio's character uh, was part of the... Uh, Part of the group of soldiers that liberated various uh, concentration camps and saw he saw all kinds of horrors of war there. So he has uh, a history of of emotional trauma, and that really does seem to be uh, affecting him in his investigations and and that sort of thing. So, and as as time goes on, uh, things come out that he actually requested to be on this case because he's heard things about this mental mental institution and uh, he's heard that they've been performing experiments on people uh, in the midst of uh, you know communist paranoia and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. and he's going to blow it wide open yeah and is at the same time looking for a person who he holds responsible 
for uh, his wife's death. Right. Because his his wife, the fire that she died in was started by a maintenance man. Isn't a maintenance man who worked in the so, building? Yeah. Who he he uh, refers to as a firebug, mm-hmm. and uh, this character he believes is now inside the prison at right. Shutter Island. Yes, so you know there, and so the fact, and not all of this is said in the first you know twenty minutes. A lot of these things are revealed over time, and so it really keeps you guessing, even at the motivations of the main character. Mm-hmm. And you think, man, there's and and there's a conflict in him where. One thing he he finds that he can either find this guy uh, Andrew Latus is the name of the firebug. He can either find him and take some sort of revenge, maybe, or he can spend his time, uh, you know, exposing what this facility has been doing. But he mm-hmm. can't really do both, so he kind of feels yeah. that that uh, you know contradiction and, and feels that pull, and so. Uh, so that's that's the, that's the basic story. It's pretty complex already, and and I'm not sure how much. I don't think I want to go into too much detail just yet. Uh, I do want to talk about maybe just <clears throat> you know some of the elements that I really like. As I mentioned, I liked um, uh, Ben Kingsley's performance, um, mm-hmm. but also uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is is an actor who I associate with high levels of intensity, like. Um, <laughs> He's Intense not, levels of intensity, you one might could, say. I'm, you might say that. You might. You I might wouldn't. Not. I probably wouldn't. Right. In fa- I didn't, in fact. Okay. So, um, but the... There are some actors, uh, Sean Penn, chief among them, who are so intense in, every ro- in almost every role that I find it off-putting. I feel like they are trying to prove something. Mm-hmm. Um, and DiCaprio is not... Th- he's not there, but... Yeah. You know, you watch him in various other Scorsese films. You watch him in The Aviator. You watch him in The Departed, and you just think. And then uh, the, this past year, he was in uh, Inception, and just his level of intensity. He always just seems like such a humorless uh, character and humorless person. And you know, sometimes it seems like it's a little off-putting. Except he plays characters that are intense. It's not yeah. like he artificially brings that to characters that are normally just. <laughs> really lighthearted or anything, yeah. And so, so I I always believe it, and he always motivates the intensity, and and this is a very and the move this movie is very intense all the way through, and so they mm-hmm. needed an actor who could carry the all the, all the various subplots on his shoulders because the character himself feels everything just weighing down on him as the film progresses, yeah. And uh, and so I really I actually like DiCaprio quite a bit in this. I think he's a very good actor. I don't want to make it sound like it's like oh, mm-hmm. I hate him and everything else, but he's okay <laughs> in this. Um, but uh, I, I actually found his inten- I kind of welcomed his intensity uh, because in in the sense of of this being a horror type movie, um, you need an actor who gets the gets the tone and feels the tone. Mm-hmm. You know. Fear and a general terror it is a very is it's, a very difficult emotion to play. It's hard to bring a whole lot of humor to that too. So <laughs> right, um, but yeah, no, I, I I felt like it was a it was a good performance. I don't feel like it stood out to me in a sense that I was like, wow, that was amazing. But uh, like you said, it it fits for that 
character. Mm-hmm. I can't see how else he would have played it. And I, I think probably the more you see it and the more that you know what's you know the ending and know what's actually going on, the elements of it start to make more sense. And you can kind of see some more layers in there that you might not see on a, at a cursory viewing. Right. Um, and some of the other cast members, uh, Mark Ruffalo plays his uh, his partner. And his is the same way, that once you know what's yeah. going on, there's definitely more levels to his performance. He's, he seems kind of flat the first time around, and you're like, yeah. what's, what, what's the story with this guy? But that also helps to lead, lending to this uh, this whole sense of, of being off kilter or being, uh, you know, things aren't exactly right. And, yeah, it's it's interesting because the performance does seem flat, especially compared to DiCaprio's intensity. It's like, yeah. you know, they're both here, <laughs> and uh, why are they not... Why isn't he freaked out as much as his partner? Yeah. And you you do come to realize when the, when the twist comes uh, exactly what's going on. I did want to single out a couple others. Um, you're a big fan of Max Von Sydow all Max, the time. You know what? You can't have enough Max Von Sydow in a movie. It's a good rule of thumb. Oh, man. Um, and he plays... Uh, what I, what I do like about this is that, well, Ben Kingsley uh, seems like a very genial character throughout. Still sly and still a little coy. Um, he is. He does seem as though he's trying to be friendly to people and and be forthcoming. Um, whereas <laughs> other members of the staff, not quite so much. Uh, Max von Sydow <laughs> plays another doctor who uh, is just. <laughs> He's cynical. He and seems he's... like he is in no way interested in this uh, investigation. It is in his way. Mm. He has things to do. And those things are, of course, possibly torturing patients. Possibly lobotomizing <laughs> patients. Yeah. He's got... The, the, he's passionate about his terrible work. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, a good another version of that and he only has one really one scene is Ted Levine as the warden mm-hmm. because of course this is not merely a mental hospital it's also full of criminally insane there people there you go i was waiting for it and so you know there are prison guards and 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 the warden is in charge i don't think he's even uh, given a name he's just the warden and Ted Levine uh who is famous I'd say primarily for Silence of the Lambs, but he has since gone on to do uh, several other things. But he has a very distinct way of speaking. Uh, and that way of speaking, like he plays uh, he plays a detective on the show Monk. And oh, right. and his character in that is usually, you know, he's he's gruff, but he's well-meaning. And, and, and Ted Levine's odd way of speaking just kind of makes him seem, uh, he's... Uh, I'll I'll borrow one of my favorite uh, turns of phrase from the movie Network. He's crusty but benign. Uh, <laughs> it's a quirk. It's a quirk. Whereas he can turn that around as they did uh, in the, I think, wonderful movie called uh, Joyride in which he plays a villain who's no, who you only ever hear. You never actually see him. Mm-hmm. You only see his big scary truck, uh, but you only ever hear him over the, the CB. So his voice can be used to be very menacing as it is as the warden mm-hmm. he has one scene where he just says like some of the most horrific things <laughs> talks about like if i were to sink my teeth into your eyeball and all of that and uh and you get the impression that he's probably not helping the patients much either <laughs> no. so he may not buy into the uh into the you know the real uh loving nature of of patient care sometimes the people behind the bars aren't the only ones who are criminally insane 
most of the time they are. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, I'd say the vast majority of the time. Yeah, but you know, there's a few stragglers. You never know. A few, a few wardens. Oh my! Okay. Those, those dots didn't really connect, but you know what? <laughs> That's okay. Um, and so I do want to. Oh, and then I also we only ever see um, Michelle Williams in flashback and mm-hmm. in uh, fantasy sequence and hallucinations mm-hmm. um, as uh, DiCaprio's uh, deceased wife. And she's very good as well, partially because Michelle Williams understands I'm not playing a real character. I'm playing mm-hmm. his version of me. Right, yeah. What, in, in different ways. Right. Some, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's part of the twist thing. Yeah, we'll which go I think into we'll, that we'll talk about but, it now. Uh, but yeah, he, she, he imagines her in different ways or remembers her in different ways depending on what he knows or what his mental state is. And so she has to play those different notes depending on what he's thinking right which which i think can be very difficult because it's not it's not a three-dimensional character it's not a nuanced character it's whatever you know there are times when she's she you know pushes she presses him to continue on in his journey for revenge Mm -hmm. in which case she seems rather you know cold and kind of heartless and you're like oh we don't we don't want him to continue on in this crazy vein whereas um, other times, you know, he has a flashback in which she's very tender and loving, mm-hmm. and uh, the, those those sequences are actually, I, I found them to be very uh, very difficult to watch. Um, but yes, twist. Uh, now's the now's our chance. All right. Um, so uh, I'll let you. I've been I've been talking most of this episode. I'll let okay. you reveal the twist. Uh, and try. Uh, don't try to just don't just be like. Uh, the twist is this. All right, let's mm-hmm. move on. Uh, give some details about it. Okay, so he and Darth Vader are up on the. Uh, they're in the Cloud City, and right as uh, uh, he's he's cut off. Uh, Darth Vader has chopped off Leonardo DiCaprio's hand, and and then it turns says, out Darth Vader was a sled the whole time. That's right. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're still listening, thank you <laughs> for your patience. Um, no. So as it turns out, <laughs> makes it sound like my friend next door was telling me that his paper keeps getting stolen. As it turns out, he isn't getting the paper anymore. Isn't that a great? That's the most boring story I've ever told. Um, no. So I'm trying to think of the best way to do this now. The uh, so it's been set up that something is going on there. We're not exactly sure what. Uh, the further it gets into the story, um, Teddy Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, his his, um, his motivations seem to to fluctuate wildly and to seem seem to go counter to to what makes sense. Like he, he's supposed to be supposedly there, either investigating this woman's disappearance or uh, maybe finding this uh, this firebug guy, Andrew Latus. Um, and and then he he gets caught up in this whole idea that maybe there are lobotomies that are done on the island and that if they're being done, they're being done in this lighthouse that's off to the side of the island. And as as the viewer, I remember the first time watching it, I was like, if he's right about this and there are secret lobot- lobotomies being done in a lighthouse, then this is, this is going to be the stupidest movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So... I think everyone in the audience can tell like he seems really bent on doing this and the movie seems to be going in in this direction that he's going to uncover this plot 
but it doesn't make any sense. Like uh, the lighthouse, the the logistics of that doesn't doesn't make any sense. Um, why would they be lobotomizing the the patients? He 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 seems to think it's some sort of uh, government plot to. It, it, it's the type of conspiracy that if someone told you they believed that, you would tell them that they should. Uh, to quote Lewis Black, wear a tinfoil so we know who they are. Yeah. Um. So then he finally makes it out to this lighthouse and he bursts in to find Ben Kingsley there waiting for him. Mm. And Ben Kingsley, he, he, he's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Teddy, he's, he's flustered. He doesn't understand what's going on. He hasn't found the secret lobotomy labs he was hoping to find. And uh, Ben Kingsley goes on to explain to him that he is actually a patient on Shutter Island and they have been staging this elaborate uh, investigation thing for him to try and work out uh, his problems because he... he He's be- been a patient there for two years. For two years and sincerely believes that he is this U.S. Marshal Teddy Daniels. Mm-hmm. Um, he is not, right. in fact. And um, uh, not only is this firebug character not responsible for his wife's death. Um, he is the one who's responsible for his wife's death. Mm-hmm. He, uh, the story tells that he, he came back to his, his wife uh, after being out on business, finding that she, being a little bit unstable herself, had drowned all three of their children. And in his like anger and grief and frustration, he, he kills her. Right. There was a fire. Uh, she was, yes. I believe, manic depressive, mm-hmm. um, now referred to as bipolar, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, she's manic depressive. She lit the fire. She started, in their the, own, fire. She started the fire in their own building. Mm-hmm. So they moved out to this place in the country, and uh, she continued to have problems that he ignored. And then she wound up, yes, drowning uh, their three children in a lake. And then he kills her and then it turns out his name is actually is actually Andrew Latus. He is Andrew Latus, but has yeah. made up this character of Teddy Daniels to essentially escape from uh right from uh what he's done, which I guess we'll talk about more. Mm-hmm. And it's and so it so everything it turns out that that Ben Kingsley is actually uh a very benevolent, good-hearted guy. Pretty stand-up guy. Yeah, because so many, because it turns out that DiCaprio's character is the most violent mm-hmm. uh, and irrational person that they have there, yeah. uh, the uh, patient, and um, and everyone else is sort of willing to just write him off and maybe even lobotomize him because mm-hmm. he is violent. Right. But Ben Kingsley has been listening to this fantasy over and over again about this firebug Andrew Latus and all that, and mm-hmm. he he really believes that that he can get through to Leonardo DiCaprio. And so he stages this thing. It's like, okay, you, you want to live out this fantasy? We will actually live it out with you. And maybe then by the end of it, you will get, you will realize the truth that you have hidden away from yourself for so long. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so finally DiCaprio does admit that there is no Teddy Daniels. I'm Andrew Latus. I kill. I killed my wife because she killed our children. Mm-hmm. Um, all that sort of thing, and 
Ben Kingsley's ex- he's happy about that, but apparently this sort of thing has happened before, and and there was a relapse. Right. Um. And so the film ends with DiCaprio, and it turns out, by the way, that Mark Ruffalo is just another one of the doctors. He's his primary he's, psychiatrist. Yeah. Which is then again, looking back, makes sense why Mark Ruffalo doesn't seem at all like a detective. He seems uh, strangely. Um, he's concerned. Yeah. He's, he's concerned. concerned, but like. He he doesn't seem concerned for his life because right. he's not. Yeah, he's concerned for uh, DiCaprio, but as but he's sort of going through the motions when it comes to the crazy stuff. Right. Um, and uh, so the last scene involves uh, DiCaprio and 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 the doctor and and he refers to the doctor as if he were the fictional partner. And the doctor, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, Mark Ruffalo. I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, and he's like, we just got to get off this rock. And, and Mark Ruffalo is like, oh, shoot. Uh, he doesn't say this, but mm-hmm. in his face, you can see, well, shoot, I guess he's relapsed. Right. So he gives a little nod over to um, Ben Kingsley and Max von Sydow and the warden. And they're all s- standing there. And the nod implies like. There's nothing else we can do. There's nothing else we can do. And it is implied then that uh, that he's going to go get a lobotomy. But you say get like it's yeah. like it's like it's trick or treating. What'd you get? <laughs> lobotomy. Um but as uh DiCaprio is about to leave, he says, which would be worse, to live as a monster or die as a good man? The implication of course being that he is self aware, he does know what has happened, mm-hmm. and he just but he can't hide behind the fantasy anymore. And he just can't live with knowing what he's done and, and all of that. So we'll spe- that that's going to be a uh, that's going to be our theme today, and uh, we'll theme. we'll discuss that uh, more in a moment. Uh, we're going to be now talking about our companion film, which is Momentous. Moment. I'm sorry. Wait, what was it? Memento. Am I th- I thought of the wrong movie. I don't even know if there's a movie called Momentous. I'm I'm not committed to this. To this bit Let's I appreciate that Thank you Okay <laughs> So it's called Memento It's uh, directed by Christopher Nolan Who also wrote it And it was based on A short story By his brother Jonathan Nolan uh, And chances are You've seen this already It's been around You know For ten years now And uh, it's true. It's a, a film that Like Blew a lot of people's minds Including mine Just it's It's done very creatively And it's about uh, Guy Pierce plays uh, a, a man on a mission to get revenge, uh, his he and his wife were attacked, and his wife was uh, raped and, and brutally murdered. And he himself sustained brain damage during this attack, and he cannot make new memories. So every day, he uh, goes through and makes notes to himself so that he can just even make it through the day. But at the very, but he's also they caught one guy, or rather, I think he, sh- I think he wound up. Killing one, uh, killing one of the guys, and everyone said, "Oh, okay. Well, they just he he killed the guy, but he was convinced there was a second person mm-hmm. in the assault." Second so, shooter. What was that? Grassy Knoll. Yeah. Okay. This is the one. Let's back into the left. This is that's, the movie we're talking about. Right. That's the one. Okay. Yeah. It's there's a still a, there's a twist. There's a conspiracy. Right. Yeah. Um. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I started thinking about thematic similarities, but I don't want to do that right now. Um. But uh, but nobody believes that there is a, a second assailant, and so he 
now has to try and find this guy on his own. He's got a vigilante justice thing going on. Exactly. With brain damage and no short-term memory. So he also... (laughs) Exactly. There's a recipe for success. (laughs) Exactly. But it also motivates him. It gives him something to live for. Mm -hmm. His wife is gone. He... You know, he can't live like a regular life. Yeah, well, and it's clear that this is his life. Like, there is nothing else to him right now. He, you know, he's got that, I think you may have already said it, but he has tattoos all over himself to remind him of things. Mm -hmm. Um, He's carrying these pictures around with him. He's telling everybody about uh, Sammy Jankus. Right. Uh, He's, he's, uh, it, it, it is his identity. It, yeah, and so... So he he basically lives for he lives for revenge, and you mentioned Sammy Jankis. Uh, that this is a story that he tells because he used to work as an insurance investigator, and he had heard and he was involved in this story in which this middle aged man uh, had been in a car accident and claimed that he couldn't make new memories, and so they do various tests on him because if he can't make if he physically can't make new memories, then of course the insurance company has to pay out for probably his whole life mm-hmm. because he can't live now like a regular life with a regular job and so he investigates and finds that there's something going on something a little bit fishy and maybe it's psychological and if it's psychological that means that somebody could conceivably snap out of it so he tells this to sammy's wife and she uh decides she's going to snap sammy out of it and she's diabetic so she decides so she's going to sort of almost uh, bluff a little bit. And she says to Sammy, hey, it's time for my shot, which he's still able to do because it's something he always used to do. And, you know, anything that he could do before the car accident, he can still do. So yeah. he helps it's give a, her... It's a short-term memory thing. Right. So he can't remember new things, but stuff that's rote memory, stuff that he's always done before, he can remember those things. Right. This is the case with Sammy Jenkins and with... Uh, Leonard. Leonard. Yeah. Shelby? Shelby. Leonard Shelby. And so uh, so she keeps doing this, so she she winds her watch back to sort of trick Sammy to come and uh, give her a shot of insulin, thinking that, well, if this is all psychological, he'll know that he's giving me a lot of injections and is, a, and is going to kill me. <laughs> and so he'll stop. You know, his memory will kick in and everything will be fine. And uh, but that does not happen. And she goes into shock and then eventually dies and and all of that. And so that's the story that Leonard keeps. He has a tattoo on his hand says, remember Sammy Jankis. So he tells other people, but clearly he wants to remember for himself. Mm -hmm. And and his whole thing was that Sammy didn't have a reason to live. My reason is revenge. And that's what motivates me. That's what keeps me going. Yeah. And so. uh so there's a twist to this as well. Uh, there, there are various people that help him along, helps in quotes on this one. Um, one is a cop, played by Joe Pantoliano. One Joey is Pants. Joey Pants, as we all like to call him. <laughs> by we, I mean you and I. Yeah. And on Facebook, I believe he and I are, fa- are Facebook friends. We're, oh, good, really? we're good buddies. You hang out and with I Joey believe, Pants? Yeah, I believe he goes by Joey Pants yeah. on there. But, uh, and then uh, Carrie Ann Moss plays uh, a sympathetic uh, waitress. And... One thing that's that's interesting throughout um, that will speak to one of the themes that we'll get into is how frequently his condition is exploited. <laughs> um, 
like he and and in voiceover he actually tell says something like you know he's like I don't see how people can you know take advantage of somebody with my condition and then he says that early on and then we proceed to see everybody who knows about it <laughs> take advantage of it whether it in be one way or another whether it be the cop or the waitress or even the guy who runs the motel mm-hmm. where he's staying um who chooses to char- and and he doesn't remember he's staying there so this guy just keeps charging him for rooms uh for ver- for other rooms and so uh so there the twist is that and this is going to be rather difficult to explain but <laughs> we've ter- got two such complex movies that yeah. we're, we're taking a lot of time to explain them but if you don't understand what happens yeah. everything's kind of moot so it turns out that Leonard uh he might. Jeez, ah, how do how does one even start to say this? Um, his it turns out that his wife might have actually survived the attack, and that his his but she didn't believe his brain thing, his memory thing, and so she decided that she would test him by ha- by doing this diabetic this diabetes thing that Sammy's wife did, and then he thought, well, what? Somebody, you know, the the cop played by Joe Pantoliano was the cop assigned to his case and he believed him and he and he's trying to help him get revenge and and all of that. Uh, But he comes out with all the facts and the facts are that Sammy Jenkins didn't even have a wife and that Leonard's wife survived the attack and that she's the one that had diabetes and that he basically killed his own wife. Mm -hmm. But that also his... The fact that he can, he remembers that his wife is dead, and he remembers it by, and how she was killed, but filters it through something that happened in his past implies that maybe his memory loss is not physical, it's psychological at that point, and probably brought on by by the attack, and probably guilt, because Mm -hmm. he simply cannot believe that he's the one that did this to her. Yeah. Um... And so, now, that revelation comes at the end of the film, but the film, from an editing standpoint, is told backwards. Yeah. So, we actually see everything that he does after that revelation, and what he basically does, one of the things that he asks himself in voiceover is, can I let myself forget what you've told me? Uh, And he's speaking to... Joe Pantoliano's character, not literally, but just kind of rhetorically asking himself this. And uh, he decides, yes, he can. He's going to go on blaming somebody else. He's not. He would never write a, put a tattoo on himself saying, I'm the one that killed my yeah. wife. Yeah. And uh, and in doing so, he actually enables he enables himself to be further exploited. And he becomes responsible for m- very bad things happening to other people. Mm hmm. Um, all because he won't face the truth about what he has done. Yeah. Um, even though he didn't do it consciously, certainly. And so, uh, so sim- obviously, if you're listening, you have picked up the story similarities here, <laughs> that it's guys who've done you know these terrible things, whether consciously or unconsciously. To their wives. To their wives, uh, and cannot live with that fact. And so they either choose to forget it, or choose to build a fantasy in which they are not this t- they are not this monster they are you know they don't want to live as this monster they'd much rather just live in a fantasy world and not 
not face reality. Mm-hmm. So, okay. That's okay. what we're talking about. That's it. That's it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so one of the things that I wanted to bring up, uh, this episode is going mm, kind of long. It's fine. I've given up on the idea of short episodes now, unless they're by my, just there, me. There was a lot of explaining we had to do, so that's kind of... That's true. Kind of necessary. Yeah, but there's still going to be like another hour of discussion, so, you know. Well, there you go. There's not going to be an hour. I'm I'm joking, of course. No, well, there could be. We say, we say there won't be. Yeah, that's maybe I shouldn't uh, count my chickens before they're uh, hatched. Um, when I first saw Memento, uh, one of the big themes for me was, as I mentioned earlier, almost jokingly the idea of people exploiting his condition. Mm. Everybody who knows about it exploits it, including, by the way, himself. Yeah. And I always took the film as, as kind of a... kind of a, a cynical view on human nature and people only working... will only ever see something... see what they can get out of a certain yeah. situation. You know, even if it's something like, hey, this guy lost his wife and, ha- and can't make new memories what can I get out of this, you know? <laughs> and then at the and you think like, oh man, look at all these terrible people taking advantage of him. And then you realize at the end that at his most uh, aware, he does it too. Yeah. And so I always thought that was really interesting and, and very cynical to be sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that all, that, <laughs> that theme of, human nature and what humans are really like that -hmm. also pops up in shutter island Mm -hmm. um in some cases very explicitly like the scene between dicaprio and ted levine Levine. yeah that one is (laughs) certainly i mean there's things in both movies and in that scene specifically about the inherent violence in human nature Mm -hmm. and uh uh yeah, I, in the Shutter Island scene, it's pretty bare bones. I mean, that's, yeah. Ted Levine almost literally says that. That's what people do. We yeah. fight each other. We kill each other. Yeah. He said he talks about there being no real moral order, and the only the only thing that makes sense is, can my violence conquer yours? Yeah. And it's pretty... He talks yeah. about violence being a gift that God has given to us. <laughs> um, and uh, And so it's really... It's very explicit in that. But, of course, we also see... You know, DiCaprio in his past has witnessed the brutality that people can do to each other in concentration camps and that mm-hmm, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and also it is that knowledge of human nature that makes the crazy conspiracy that he concocts feasible for him. Yeah. He has seen what people can do to each other. And so the idea that the U.S. military is making emotionless, memoryless... Uh, super, you know, like super soldiers for the, you know, to fight the communists. That seems very feasible because eh, people, it's like, yeah, people have done worse. Yeah, and I mean, it it speaks to uh, to the validity of that also in that we as the viewers are kind of with him for some of it. But if you mm-hmm. haven't caught on to the twist, you're believing that. Well, yeah, maybe that's what, what could happen. Yeah, and so uh, so I think that's that's one of the things that comes. That comes into play, but I don't think that's the only thing that comes into play. The the main character's reaction to that knowledge uh, about how people are and how you know we are. Um, 
Including themselves. Including in themselves, cases. yes. Um, including and possibly especially themselves. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, and I, I've talked, I think I've probably devoted maybe two, like one or two episodes to the discussion of guilt, uh, because it happens to be a theme that is uh, very resonant with me. Uh, we'll be discussing that more uh, the next episode in which I'll be, uh, it's going to be like biographical and that kind of thing. Ooh. So yes, very exciting. A&E style. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to be interviewing anybody. You can interview yourself. Tyler, what do you think about yourself? I'm not a fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. So um, so I think that's... But guilt is, is of course, a, a huge aspect of both of these movies. Yeah. And guilt coming with this realization that as terrible as everybody else is, you're just, you're just like them. Just as bad, yeah. I'd written down a, a, a scenario here... Um, you hate somebody for taking away your life, whether, you know, in this, in the case of both of these protagonists, mm-hmm. your wife has been killed, yeah. you know, and so you hate somebody for taking away a, what is essentially your whole life, your whole identity, uh, and then you find out that it's actually you that did it. Yeah. How would you respond? Hmm. You know, and that's a question that I've had to ask myself that, like, you know, if, if somebody killed Jen, I mean, I would, you know, I'd, I'd. I don't know what I would do. I would be mm-hmm. so furious. I, I certainly would never be able to forgive that person. Mm-hmm. And then if I found out that person was me, let's say I, she, you know, I was driving and got us in a car accident and she died and I lived. Well, I, by extension, I probably couldn't forgive myself. Yeah. And the only way that I could even come close to living with myself is if I was able to convince myself it was somebody else's fault or mm-hmm. whatever and built this very elaborate fantasy mm-hmm. um whether you know maybe not one as elaborate and crazy as in shutter island but you know that's the only way i could really live with myself as a person as a man and all of that and so um yeah, i've been it, talking for a while what do you what I do you have to say, say in, in doing in that's essentially what these uh these characters are doing and they are in a lot of ways uh Obviously, these are not characters that we're expecting to see follow a biblical model. Right. <laughs> but if we're going to look at it from a, uh, a biblical moral standpoint, you can see that you can see where the flaws come. One of those, like you mentioned, is you wouldn't be able to forgive yourself. These characters mm-hmm. are not, they're not able to or they won't allow themselves forgive themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, or even in their alter egos, essentially, that they're not able to forgive this imaginary person who right. who ruined their lives. Um, so you can see how the inability or the uh, lack of will to forgive is, is part of what destroys them. Mm-hmm. And then another part of it is... Um, I think is, ref- is refusal to accept... Uh, depravity Hmm. Um, because they're both being obviously stared in the face with depravity not not only with the situation that has happened to them with their past but the circumstances that they're in I mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially Shutter Island it's he's on an 
island that's a mental institution for the criminally insane. Right. Like, if that's not depravity staring you in the face, what, what else is? Yeah. And then he has the warden, who should be the uh, the uh, the island of of sense in this world, <laughs> lean into him and say, if I tried to sink my teeth into your eye right now, would you be able to stop me? Stop before I blinded you? Stop before I blinded you. What a... <laughs> Ah, what a horrifying thing to say. So anyway, all that to say, um, these characters are faced with the full depravity of the human, of the human being. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it's, it's, it's an inability to accept that that's what the world is. And again, if you're if these are characters who are not looking at it from through the lens of biblical Christianity, it, it's maddening to think that to imagine having to be able to accept that this is what the world can be like, mm-hmm. and that's what the world is like for these two. From an existential point of view, that is the world for both of these characters, taken advantage of, faced with horrible things in both their past and their foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a an insurmountable burden, and it's, I think that might be mixing metaphor metaphors. That's insurmountable right. burden. Yeah, I, whatever. It's fine. We big, all get it. It's a big problem. <laughs> I'm gonna stop trying to use generally off putting. I would say, <laughs> um, but the and, and that's yeah. It is. It's because I think I think all of us have moments where we see what the world is, whether it be friends of ours or, you know, something that's happened to us or, you know, things that we see happening in the world. And we feel like we're able to keep a certain arm's length from it and think like, man, that's really terrible. And there, you know, there have been plenty of movies made about, you know, uh, a hero in the midst of villains just doing awful things, but that hero is still upright, you know, and good and all of that you know and in fact most movies with a hero are that you know Mm -hmm. movies like dick tracy and james bond all the james bond movies and uh dirty harry (laughs) i guess so well he's he's dirty he's righteous yeah but he's i don't know if i death wish good well death wish is not a good example (laughs) i was gonna go with like indiana jones you know he's he's surrounded by nazis he's he's surrounded by a cult that imprisons children and puts (laughs) them to work and kills them and tears out people's hearts let's not forget like that's about as evil as you get and indiana jones is fighting against it and he's fighting the good fight Mm -hmm. so i think all of us kind of have this image of the world being this terrible place like even when we have a clear-eyed view of that we know like, okay, yeah, people are pretty terrible. And then it's that realization that I might I might be the worst one, mm. you know. And some people would say, like, well, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm not the worst one. But, you know, when you really start to dig into your own instincts and the things you have done, you know, for me, I know that, like, you know, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't done anything externally awful but i've alienated a lot of people i've alienated friends and i've because of petty jealousies of mine and and all that sort of thing and it's just and i think back to those things that i've been and i'm just like oh i really wish i wasn't that Mm. and like so many other people 
when you're faced with things that you've done in your past, I I know that my instinct is often to just try and think about something else. Like, there's nothing I can do about it now. It's just something that I've that I it's something that I was something that I have been. Yeah. I just need to. I'm just going to think about something else now. Like, it really it hurts that much that I just want to ignore it or try to forget it. Mm-hmm. And and so and but it occurred to me that. And I know that, you know, this is probably going to upset some of our non-Christian listeners, but in a world where we're really all there is, and you're faced with the things you've done wrong in the past, what choice do you really have? You can, like, there's really no reason why you shouldn't feel guilty all the time, nor is there really any reason why you should. Like, you can just be like, eh, it's, it's a thing that happened. What can you do? Mm-hmm. And then you move on. Um, but... I know that most most decent people's instinct is to get upset with themselves and and probably feel guilty. And I know that some people, if they're if they're at all like me, um, will really uh, sort of I, I'm I'm heading somewhere with this phrase. Sorry, but they'll sort of imprison themselves in that guilt. I mean, we our protagonists do that as well. Mm-hmm. They are so consumed by their guilt that they've created a whole other world that is completely different than the world that they know. Yeah. Uh, or that they knew previously. Yeah. And, and they, so... Go. They both have... Um, this is... I'm trying to decide whether this is entirely related to what you're saying, but they both have a... Uh, a sense of a moral duty in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a skewed sense of moral duty because in, in uh, uh, Leonard Shelby's case, it's revenge, but... They they see wrongs that they want to right right in both situations. Yeah, in in their scenarios, they're actually not only are they not the perpetrator, but they're actually the avenging angel. You yeah, know, they're the yeah they're on the side of right. They're yeah. going to put things right. You know, and so they're living in in a world of of self delusion and self deceit. They're the Indiana Joneses of their own stories. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And and so I so to bring the, all this back around to you know the the point of this uh, podcast, which is you know seeing things from a Christian standpoint. You know these characters, as as you mentioned, they're probably not living out the biblical model, um, but these characters they feel like they have no choice but to do this yeah. because I mean DiCaprio's character chooses to be lobotomized because he'd rather have that than walk around knowing what he's done. Yeah. And if he can't have his fantasy anymore, then that means he has to just live with his guilt and live with the knowledge of what he's done. So, uh, well, that and that's out. I can't do that. So I guess that's the end of this. <laughs> I guess lobotomy. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, and so it go- comes back to that idea of, like, which would be worse, to live as a monster or die as a good man. Yeah. And, you know, as Christians, that is not necessarily a choice we have to make. You know, yeah. because um, I, 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 I have been I'm reluctant to say this phrase because it sounds a little too clean. Um, but why not? Uh, Jesus died as a monster so that we could live as good men and women. Um, he it's you know, uh, he paid that penalty, the penalty that we all know that we should pay for whatever bad thing we may have done and are holding ourselves responsible for either 
mentally or literally, you know, Mm -hmm. he paid that. And so you don't have to bear that burden anymore, that insurmountable burden that I've been hearing so much about. (laughs) And uh, it does, because guilt really can be this prison that you put yourself in. And so when people talk about Jesus giving you freedom from sin, it's not, you know, some people, because the word sin has taken... Uh, the, has taken to mean like an action that it and, and less the general state of people um, sin with like a capital S. Mm. Um, so when the Bible talks about freedom from sin, it's not merely talking about uh, you're free to not do these things in the future. <laughs> it also means hey, the things you've done in the past, like by all means, there might be earthly consequences to yeah. them. But you don't, you're done with those now emotionally. You don't have to keep beating yourself up. You can move on from that now because the penalty that you're taking on yourself through constant self hatred, that's been paid. You don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. You know, Um, the sentence has been commuted to uh, keep with that uh, metaphor. But uh, so I see that you got your uh, little uh, passport notebook open. What do you got there, Josh? I don't know what you're talking about at all. Okay, sorry. Letting people behind the curtain here. Yeah, sorry. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Did that sound at all like the great Oz? Not at all. That sounded like the weak Oz. (laughs) Please don't come back here. I'm I'm playing jacks. Um, I don't know why he would be playing. I'm thinking of something that would be an entire waste of time for an all-powerful and mighty wizard to be doing. Man, I'm I'm going off the rails here. Uh, no, I, during the meaningful portion too. During the, I know this is the part that's supposed to be. This is the part that you know is changing hearts and minds. Um, Being a little lofty, aren't you? Oh yeah, why not? Uh, great and powerful. So no, I, I had I had written down that one of the things I thought was interesting is uh, is, and you you just touched on this a little bit is how because that guilt is such a huge thing, it becomes. It it becomes the, these people's identity if they have to face it. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have to face it, then that that's all they, they can't escape it. They become solely in their minds a guilty party. That's all that they exist as, and so because of the way that that's tied to identity, they both choose a different identity. And mm-hmm. I actually when when we when you first mentioned that we were going to pair these movies together, I thought you were going to talk about. Um, Specifically about identity, because these are two characters who have seemingly, uh, no, no, who who have not lost their identity, but given it away for mm-hmm. uh, for a better one. Yeah, um, and are kind of in a search of in a search for their identity, and uh, um, I guess how I, I said already how that's a. They don't know who they are because they can't face who they are. Right. Um, yeah, and that actually leads to a uh, Bible verse that I've got here. Well. Um, I wrote down First uh, John chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. Um, I wrote down the whole thing, but I'm only going to read part of it, but I did not note here uh, where the verses are. I think this is probably uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Um, I'm not 100% on that, though. 
Uh, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Um, And I like, and there's, there's two points being made there. And one of them is, you know, that if you just say what the, if you run from, if you run from the truth of who you are and who we all are as sinful, terrible people, even those of us that try our best to be good, uh, if you run from that, then you're running, you know, you're not facing the truth of who you are. Mm-hmm. You're trying to create this other you, and you're going to try so hard to be that, and you're going to fail. You're always going to fail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas if you confess your sins, you know, it's, you know, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Okay, that's good. And purify us from all unrighteousness. And that promise, I think, is is interesting because in one case you're not facing the truth of who you are and in the and setting yourself up for fur, uh, future failure whereas if you acknowledge I'm already a failure I'm already doing some pretty rough things I'm already messing things up pretty much all the time if you do that and then accept God's grace which is like one of the hardest things to do then then that's who you are. You are somebody who's been forgiven. You're a, you know, you've you've made mistakes and you're and you are a, a sinner, but you don't you're not setting up this unattainable goal. You're setting yourself mm-hmm. up as someone who makes constant mistakes and those mistakes are taken care of too, by the way. Yeah. And and so it's I don't know, I I always find that dichotomy to be kind of interesting that if you keep running from the truth, you're only running further and further into the lie mm-hmm. until every until almost everything is a lie about yourself. Whereas if you face the truth, then you actually realize more of what that truth really means. It's more than merely, I'm a bad person and I've made mistakes. The truth changes and then mm-hmm. it kind of retroactively goes back and all the things that you've done and who you are, it's not that they don't matter but that they're taken care of. They've been redeemed, to uh, use yeah. the phrase. Yeah. So, um, was there anything else that... We've been going for a while. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up? Well, yeah, I was also going to mention, and you you just touched on this a little bit, about how... Uh, about something about the sin nature, which also goes back to us talking about the the in- inherent depravity in uh, in people. Total depravity, as it's called, is the first point of Calvinism. Um, so that throw that one Thanks out for there that, for all you uh all you theology nuts out there i know i know there's i know there's thousands i just you know <laughs> you guys don't get a don't get uh you know stuff thrown your way every now and then so that's that's a gift for you guys anyway um uh the, i think it's it's interesting how uh uh we because of the uh of the depravity of people and of these characters um that that's what leads to the whole dilemma on both sides first in in the actual things that they do wrong and second in the uh in the way that they deal with it by deceiving themselves because mm-hmm. to quote another bible verse which i feel like i quote maybe too much um is that the the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked mm. And 
the these two characters, they're uh, the deception. If you look at it only on a surface level, the deception that these characters are putting themselves through about their identity, you can look at it on the surface as solely a psychological thing. But there's a hard aspect to it, which mm. makes it deeper. It's much deeper than just like, oh, I can't remember what's going on, or oh, I I create fantasies for myself. Both of these things are specifically tied to a a heart issue, the guilt issue, and um, uh, I just, I think that that's an interesting idea that it's something much deeper than just kind of a psychological problem on the surface. It's funny how that reminded me a little bit of the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind hmm. where in a totally different way that just says there are there are elements of the human that are much deeper than just the mind if that makes any sense yeah I think so yeah and I think it's and it is interesting because you know you you start to make these compromises with yourself these uh me, you know mental compromises and that and it starts to and immediately will start to go deeper because by not acknowledging but for Leonard and Memento by not not acknowledging who he is and what he's done he is he knows that he's going to be setting himself up to be hurting and possibly killing people mm-hmm. in the future yeah you know he's purposefully allowing himself to be deceived right he's deceiving himself and is more okay with that, that, more okay with the idea of I'm going to be used to hurt and kill people mm-hmm. that did not do this crime that I'm going to be holding them accountable for. He's allowing himself that before he would ever say, it might have been me. And yeah. by the way, I didn't even really mean to do it at the time. And and he even says, I think I think at the end of the movie, he says that he'd rather do that to be happy. Like that's the... Uh that's the reason that he gives for himself. Like he, he's going to do these terrible things because that will make him happier. It's really interesting how so many of these things, uh, so many problems with people boil down totally to selfishness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's more is it's just this idea of, I mean, when you watch Memento now, of course you're watching it backwards. So you do know the eventual result of what, of his eventual self deceit. So you do know that, but as you go through, you never... That is not a hopeful movie. That is not a hopeful ending. No. You know that he's just going to keep running deeper and deeper, and the self-deceit's going to get deeper, the moral compromises are going to be deeper, and he's running after something that he thinks is going to make him happy, when in fact if he... if he uh, want, Because I think that his... That his... Uh, his memory short term memory loss because i do think that is that it is psychological mm-hmm. i wonder if he finally just let himself say and acknowledge what he has done i wonder if that would go away hmm. you know his his memory loss is is a necessary thing right now and and in acknowledging what he's done i don't know it might he might become uh, a a better uh, like not merely better psychologically, but like what you're talking about, just a better person. Because for him to continue on the path he's on, it's a guarantee he's going to do worse things. Yeah. Whereas, if he were to acknowledge the truth, then he's never going to do he's never going to do those things again. Mm-hmm. 
and it's just I don't know. It's yes, there is. I think there is a a connection between the the head and the heart. But I think some people are willing to stop with the head. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, the heart, the very core of of who we are, is uh, well, hey, it's deceitful above deceitful. all things. I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good insight you came up with there, Tyler. Thanks, buddy. You should write it down in some kind of book. I'll remember it. All right. <laughs> I recorded it now. That's I'll true. let somebody else write it down. <laughs> Collect those ideas. But, um, um, okay, you, I'm sorry. You mentioned sort of, uh, just this just occurred to me, it was a little bit interesting. You mentioned how uh, how it's not a very hopeful film, and I feel like both films are relatively depressing. Right. Um and I don't know if you could say that's some of the filmmakers' outlook on life and on the world, if they are indeed, I think both of them looking at it from a non-Christian perspective, or um, if that's just a, a possibility of experience in the world that they're exploring, if you act this certain way or believe in this certain way or in this sort of person's situation. I mean, you could look at, and I don't know if this was in, intended by the filmmakers, but you could look at Shutter Island as kind of a very dark and depressing metaphor for existence. Hmm. You, you, uh, uh, you're constantly trying to figure things out. It never really makes any sense to you. No one really is on your side. In the end, it turns out you've, you've, thought you knew it was going on you were totally wrong it's really all your fault and it's better to just die <laughs> <laughs> i mean and I, that that's that's a little bit over dramatic and grim but i think that that is a line that's in the film that could be something that looking at that you could you could say this is this is what life is like this is mm-hmm. um and i yeah. think that's uh that is not necessarily the note we're going to end on, but that will lead into the note we're going to end on, which is, uh, you know, this is a Christian show, so I want to end it on a Christian note. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. You know, uh, don't get me wrong, uh, as we'll discover from next episode, it's not like I'm happy all the time because I'm a Christian. Mm. Uh, it just means that I have hope. I have something that I can cling to whenever I'm getting really down on myself and really beating myself up, I have something I can point to and say, I don't need to be doing this. I need to certainly learn from a mistake I've made or whatever and move on. But I do, I, I am able to move on. Yeah. And that's not at all to say that these sort of things don't happen if you're a Christian or that like in a Christian worldview, everything is, everything is happy all the time and, and it's all good. The, these are, Art, art imitates life, and these things really happen. There are really people who live through all of these things that we see in these movies. So mm. uh, there's no uh, there's no uh, promise in Christianity that, well, if you believe in, in Jesus, you're not going to accidentally kill your wife. You're not going to purposely kill your wife. Right. You're not going to go insane. Um, <laughs> these are all realities of the world, but in Christianity there is a hope that that there's something beyond the realities of this world and to take it in kind of a uh, uh, absurd turn. Oh, good. <laughs> We've talked about Indiana Jones. He's in these terrible places all the time. Mm. I feel like this is going to be a bad metaphor, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Oh, good. He's in these terrible places all the time. Here he's, he's in the, he's in the temple of doom. Oh. Temple of doom. Yeah. But you know what? He's going home. 
Wait, what? He's when it's over. He, oh, he yeah, yeah. It back. He's not like living in this the whole time. Right. He's absolutely. Got, he's got places to go. He's got. He's going back to a college where girls are flocking to the door to just write him little love notes on their eyelids. <laughs> <laughs> committed young girls. Oh, good. Yes. Let's let's end on with the phrase "committed young girls." I think I think I went a little. Uh, uh, that, that that I don't know. Hmm. I want a little nonsense with that, I think. No, it's all right. That's okay. It's fine with me. Light note. Everything exactly. Little, We've been uh, really heavy for a while. Let's yeah. let's end with your ridiculous thing. Sure. So, um, okay. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, of course, you can always email me Tyler at morethanonelesson dot com. Uh, you can go to morethanonelesson dot com for various uh, blog entries and such. Um, I probably. Uh, inspired by the recent change uh, in the format of BattleshipPretension.com, uh, I might actually change my website as well, but uh, that probably won't happen for a while. So um, change is good. Change is good, unless it's bad. Hmm. Fair enough. You win this round. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com/morelessons, and uh, Josh here is also on Twitter. You can you can hit me up on the Twitter at the Josh Long or the Josh Long, or if you're anyone that I'm speaking to on the phone, that's T H E J O S H L O N G. Is there some confusion there? Because when you say the, because this is one of my email addresses as well, every time. That I say somebody, it's it's the Josh Long. They're like V as in Victor. Uh, Is it B as in boy? No, it's the as in the. And then they're like the the. It's a it's got that schwa sound that sounds a little bit dull on the telephone. So fair enough. See, I I actually pronounce it uh, the Josh Long. I kind of like that. Not like all these other Longs. This one is the Josh Long. That's right. Yeah. So. But yeah, you can follow him on Twitter, and uh, I think that covers it. So, Josh, thanks for being here and uh, and talking with us, me. Always a pleasure me. to be here and talk with you all, you. Indeed. All right, uh, thanks everybody for listening, and I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.